Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Alaska Cast. Today, we're talking with Doug Tolley. He's a herder and the owner of the Running Reindeer Ranch here in Fairbanks, and he's worked with Access Alaska for a long time. Doug, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kuba. It's wonderful to have you. Um, I think the last time we chatted was either this last holiday season or the holiday season before uh, that we had a a chance to actually sit down and talk a little bit. Um, And it Mm -hmm. seems like even... This last December, looking back, the world has changed since then. It's changed an awful lot, yeah. Yeah, and I, I guess the first thing that I'd love to talk about is how are the reindeer doing? How are they How are they feeling? Do they like it when you know, they get shown, or are they kind of, if they knew what was coming, are they, are they looking forward to a little bit less busy of a summer than usual? Um, they probably don't care a whole lot. They love this weather, this snow that's coming down. Um, which I don't appreciate this time of year. Right. Um, but, but they get out and about They're um, better than a dog. They hang in the yard. And, um, so I don't, I don't know if they, um, appreciate the solitude any more than people around, nice. but, um, they, they're, they're, um, and they seem perfectly happy this time of year. <laughs> yeah, I bet. There'll be, there'll be calves coming here soon, so things will change here pretty soon. But uh, gotcha. Yeah, and and how long? How did you? How does one get started with with reindeer farming? Well, so you come on our tour and you learn it all. Um, but um, my my wife Jane, her her daughter Robin, uh, was looking for. We moved. We moved. We blended our families. Um, they were living in Anchorage. Bought a place in. Um, Goldstream Valley that the previous owner had a horse and Robin um, was uh, thought, Oh, we can get a horse now. And Jane's definitely allergic to horses. So she's pretty persistent and uh, was looking for um, some sort of livestock. Um, And we went through the sheep and the goats and no, no, can't have those things. And asked to look for something that was more conducive to life in the Arctic. And we thought maybe that'd be a alpaca or a llama or something like that. And, we drive by the reindeer farm all the time. And anyway, long story short, we ended up with uh, reindeer just as a, a 4-H and um, kids project. Oh. So when um, it's been about almost nine years ago now, Jane uh, decided to change careers and become a nurse. And, and Robin decided to go off to, to Germany as an exchange student. So Jane lost her walking partner. And, um, Jane used to take the reindeer for walks around the neighborhood and, uh, the hills here around Murphy Dome. And, um, uh, Jane put out to her friends, Hey, come on over, walk with me and my reindeer. So friends started coming they started bringing their friends. And actually, um, it was Jane's friend that said, Hey, you should do this for other people, put it on TripAdvisor and see what happens. I think other people would like to do this. So. I was an IT guy and I thought, well, what a silly idea. Who's going to want to come walk with reindeer? And um, I was wrong. Uh, A lot of people like to come walk with reindeer and uh, that's how it all got started. And it started out kind of as a temporary little thing and then it turned into a pretty successful little business until about the middle of March. Right. Yeah. You guys, you guys have consistently been, you know, in, in summers past at or number one, 
um, on TripAdvisor in Fairbanks. Is that right? Yeah, we've been we've been number two right underneath the um, car museum, which doesn't have to worry about mud or rain or mosquitoes or cold. But but the car museum is a, is we if we're going to be number two to somebody, they're they're um, a good one to be number two to. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. an amazing place. A lot of people in Fairbanks haven't been there, but it's a pretty amazing museum. So. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it's it's always struck me as uh, a little bit out of place. I think I think reindeer are more topical, perhaps for <laughs> right. for tourists. Uh, but the yeah. car museum is is incredible. Um, there's there's yeah, it is. yeah. Um, and so, so that's a quick story of of how you know it was mostly Jane. I was working full time at the time until a year ago. Um, I'm doing some of the back end stuff, some of the IT parts, and um, yeah, I. You're listening. People can't tell, but I have multiple sclerosis, so my mobility is limited. So Jane does the walking parts, and I do the sitting parts of the business. Nice. That's a it's a good partnership. It's a good you know you have to have both halves of that business anyway. It's tough to do that as one person. So um, it, make that work. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, and and a little bit ago, you guys had sort of a maybe a, a, I'd say a viral breakthrough in marketing, which was yeah that that was it was nationwide coverage of of, of reindeer doing yoga, <laughs> well, reindeer yoga. Well, yeah. there's people doing yoga with reindeer. It wasn't reindeer doing yoga. Okay, gotcha, um, gotcha. The reindeer were in the background. It, yeah, the reindeer just with you when you're doing yoga, and they're pretty uh, in tune to 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 people's um, energy and. Uh, by the end of the yoga, most of them will be laying down doing shavasana with with everybody else. But it's not like goat yoga; they don't jump on your backs. They don't um, do those things. But yeah, it got picked up by NPR, and then um, from there to some newspapers and different countries. And it, it was pretty amazing to see what happened with it. It went all over the place. Yeah, let's so want to see what we do. Just do Google reindeer yoga because nobody else does it. So we're the only ones that come up. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was it was such a quirky quirky little thing. Um Yeah. Yeah. And 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 with that, I mean, that seemed like a like a special. I don't know if you guys do that on every tour if it was sort of for No, it was an extra thing and it was um sort of last summer it was sporadic cuz we started doing it late in the season or in the booking season and so we didn't have uh consistent times and days and this summer we'll try to do it more consistently but um and just being outside people like doing it outside you know i, I know that there's uh, pop-up yogas and stuff around town that do things outside and it, it makes it a little different experience for folks than being in a studio yeah definitely definitely and and with i mean i guess with 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 covid19 here to at least for the for the immediate future, uh, is that something that you guys have ever considered live streaming? I know live streaming like regular yoga classes yeah, is a little more popular. It, it'd be a little tougher because the reindeer part of the experience is the live reindeer around you. So I'm not sure we, we'll we've done some live streams, Jane's done some live streams here of just things around the ranch. But um, depending on how long this keeps going, you know, we'll you have to get more creative. Yeah. Absolutely. It's hard to go with a business from, you know, overbooked to zero overnight. So, Right. Is that is that what happened? Yeah, basically that's what happened. Yeah. We were overbooked on a, on a Thursday and had a, well, on a Wednesday night we had a meeting with our staff and um, we decided the best thing was to shut down. So we, we uh, had one more um, tour on a Thursday and then Friday we were closed. So. 
That's, but we still had a lot of people booked. We just had to refund those folks. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 it's very tough. And it's, a, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it seems like Alaska is kind of in, in the middle of a, well, <laughs> getting, getting attacked from all sides from a, from a, uh, yeah. And then once we have tourism, then we have to convince people once tourism is still, or, or visiting or being out is, um, okay. Again, we, have to convince people of being on airplanes and cruise ships is, is okay also. Cause that's um, probably not our guests aren't that way, but about 50% of the tourists that come to Alaska come by cruise ship. Right. And some of those folks end up in Fairbanks at the beginning or end and they come walk with us. And another almost 40% come, you know, by air and it's a very small percentage. I think about 4% that come by land. So, Right, it's a. It's always seemed to me a little bit like a, a question of momentum. Uh, once people yeah. start coming, they, they they bring more, and it's sort of put a, a little bit of a wrench in that uh, in that plan there. But um, it, you know, there there there, you guys might be shut down for the immediate future. Now, I don't want to give you give away. I don't want to have you give away <laughs> any trade secrets. But what what does a tour, a regular tour, sort of look like? Well, it's about two and a half hours long. And it's a, it's a natural history and a uh, reindeer uh, walk. So a natural history tour and a reindeer walk. And Jane Shadow, we probably should be on here talking to you about this. Um, so they start out with a little safety talk and an introduction to the reindeer. Um, depending on the weather, we have a, a building we call the reindeer house, and it may start in there. Um, and uh, then you go out and meet the reindeer and have a walk of around an hour-ish, depending on the group. Every group's a little different. Some are really interested, some aren't. Some are a lot of little kids, some aren't, aren't. You know, so every every group is a little different. Um, and when they're finished with the walk, you end up back in the reindeer house with uh, um, cookies and um, a hot or cold drink and a little more on the natural history of reindeer. So it's, it's both an educational uh, tour and it's not a long walk. It takes a while because you're meandering with the reindeer. It's really a meander than a walk, <laughs> and you're taking pictures and petting them or whatever you want. They're not in a pen; they're out. So that's kind of a quick picture of a of a tour. And uh, the cookies that we serve at the end. That when when Robin wanted to get reindeer, we told her she had to raise money for the reindeer. And the way she chose to raise, to raise money was to make homemade cookie dough. And those cookies were from her most popular recipe. So. Oh, we try that. to tie our lives and the reindeer's lives and everything together in the tours. You know, reindeer was not your first sort of business, I guess. <laughs> no. Yeah, you've been involved in a lot of different um, sort of ventures and projects in Alaska. Um, and uh, is it true that you you started Alaska's first website? Um, yeah, I created the first website in the state of Alaska. Um I was working at the university on internet stuff in the eighties and, um, saw this, I was teaching, um, classes on things like FTP and telnet and, and things that people don't even know about anymore. And, um, I saw this thing actually was a thing called gopher that came out and gopher was an information server that was, um, developed by university of Minnesota, the golden gophers. And, uh, so I created this, gopher site for the university of Alaska that, um, and you can still actually get to it, although it's a website now it's info.alaska.edu. We didn't have a www then. And now it takes you to, um, statewide's website. 
there was kind of a battle between Gopher and the web because the web had a lot of graphics and we didn't have much bandwidth back then and Gopher was all text. So I converted this Gopher site into a website and that was the, the first website in the state of Alaska. And a couple of students at Stanford got a hold of me and they said, wow, you're the first guy in Alaska. Can we put you in our little directory Yahoo? And I'm like, sure, go ahead and put it on Yahoo. So it was, and that was back when it was just a little college project. So, that's, that's- and then, uh, left there and left the university and uh, started pulling at the first um, uh, internet service provider in Fairbanks. Yeah. And so what, back in the old dial up days. Right. Right. I still, that, that sound uh, still haunts me. I think it left Alaska a little bit later than it did uh, the rest of the world there. <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. Yeah. I had an office with 400 modems in it. So those sounds um, either bring back good memories or nightmares. One of the two. Right, depending on the day. What? Yeah. What? What? Uh. What year was that? Where that that first website I, went on? I, you know, I don't know when the first website came up, but back then you would communicate with the guys. Mark Andreessen was kind of the web guy. He went on to start Netscape, and he's off doing other things now. But uh, you'd email him with a bug fix, you know, bug, and he'd fix it and send you the bug fix. And so I started pulling it in 1994. So it must have been a couple of years before. I mean, I could find out when the first web stuff came out, but I don't remember what year that was, but it was 92 or 93 or something right in there somewhere. Yeah, that's a, that's, it's difficult to me, uh, difficult for me to imagine. I was uh, <laughs> not quite right. alive yet in 94 and now, you know, it's a, <laughs> it's a completely different world. Uh, this, this it whole is. week and, and this whole month, uh, last four weeks, I've been working from home, um, on my laptop connected to, uh, the internet and, and communicating face to face with, I mean, uh, face to zoom, I guess, to face, uh, with, with everyone kind of involved in all these projects and, it's such a quick shift. <laughs> when we started um, PolarNet, we just had a, a, a base, literally a closet in the basement of a of an office building on um, University. We had a phone system that would, so there was uh, four of us that were partners, and we would rotate who was on the help desk. We had no staff, so we'd have a help desk. So this, we had this software that would rotate. My, whoever was on call for help desk and they would ring their phone, their cell phones, um, which were pretty big back then. The cell phones were. And um, so we worked virtually back then. And uh, PolarNet eventually morphed into or was absorbed into kind of information insights. Is, is that right? No, no, no. So, so PolarNet was purchased by, so I had, a, I had a deal with the phone company back then, and it was called NUS. The phone system was municipal utilities. The city owned the phone company. They owned the power plant downtown. They owned the sewage. They owned the water system, and it was called um, NUS. And um, so I had a deal with them that they'd do my marketing and they'd do my billing and subscription services. When I was writing this business plan for this internet company, I was thinking what things I wouldn't want to do. And one was answering phone calls from people who wanted to subscribe um, and deal with the billing of all those people. So MUS handled that and uh, the city voted to sell the utilities. And I had a two-year non-compete with MUS. So when PTI was a company that bought MUS, the phone side, and I, so they bought, ended up buying me and that became CenturyTel, which eventually became ACS. Wow. So now all of us, Internet Alaska, MosquitoNet, PolarNet, we're all, all owned technically by uh, ACS. 
Wow. But then, then after that, I took a job with PTI and they were quickly sold to Century Telephone and Century Telephone, I think they're called Century Link now. They really had no interest in being in Alaska. Um, there were unions here. They didn't like unions. Um, and so I worked for them for 18 miserable months and then, uh, I joined, um, information insights, which had been in existence for a year or two with Brian Rogers and Ellen Ganley. And when did you join, um, access Alaska? So I joined access Alaska, uh, 13 years ago now, I guess. So I, um, so this all has to tie with into health insurance. Uh, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in 2000 and um, decided I needed to kind of step back from managing uh, uh, a business and just started consulting. I had a company called Numi Group um, with a partner and we basically just took co- managed contracts and we outsourced any real work. And um, But nobody would insure me with for health insurance because I had a pre-existing condition. So after a couple of years of that, I realized I really needed to go back and get a job that had benefits. And so I worked for the hospital for a little while in IT. And then I worked for a, a wireless internet company, Alaska Wireless Cable, for a short time until they moved out of the state. Then I joined, um, well, I, I'm, <laughs> oh, then I went to work with Access Alaska. Uh, they had a job opening and, and part of it was advocacy and um, part of it was development and part of it was publicity. And it was a whole bunch of different little pieces that they were looking to cover. So that was 12 years ago or 13 years ago, I guess. And I, in 2006. Yeah. And Access Alaska is involved with, I mean, pushing a lot of, um, you know, v- very progressive ideas. What, what kind of, uh, what kind of work were you doing? So, so I started out and I, at the beginning, I did development, I did um, publicity, I did marketing and I did advocacy. And at some point the director and I decided, boy, you know, just got to figure out one thing that instead of doing a whole bunch of things part way, let's figure out what's the most important thing. And Access Alaska is an independent living center and um, there's uh, two to 400 around the country. They're all over the, they're all, um, independent, but, but similar there, they have some base funding from the federal government as part of the rehab act. Um, and their, their purpose is to help folks with disabilities live independently and in their homes and in the communities of their choice. And sometimes that involves services. Sometimes that involves referrals, um, information referral. Sometimes it involves training. You know, you're, you're recently disabled and, and you're not sure how you're going to manage in a wheelchair. You know, we might be able to help you access health might be able to help you with that. And advocacy is a huge part of that. Cause even though the ADA will be 30 years old this summer, um, there's still a lot of barriers for folks with disabilities. And I discovered that soon after I was diagnosed with MS, um, you know, I really had no clue that this whole disability rights thing was happening. And, a lot of the advocacy and, and the priorities were came out of my head actually um, with the executive directors and the board's approval. But um, um, I, I particularly with lately with uh, all uh, the Affordable Care Act and, and the threats to that, it became more of a, a group effort combining Access Alaska's advocacy effort with a, with a large diverse group of other uh, mostly progressive organizations. 
Yeah. So that that change was fairly recent um, as far as me actually working with. I you know, always had this feeling that I needed to work with other people, but disability. If you go to progressive groups' websites, disability rights is very rarely addressed. Um, I think it's um, particularly after the healthcare issues, it's become more and more um, a progressive issue. But um, when I went to the Unitarian Universe Fellowships website and they had all of these progressive issues that they were covering and and the ADA and um, accessibility and disability rights was under office management. It wasn't under advocacy. <laughs> and so I got a hold of them and it took about a year, but I think if you look there now, you'll find that it's under advocacy and not under office management. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and how does Alaska, I mean, um, compared to other states in the U S how does Alaska sort of compare with disability? Access? So, so we have one issue here. It's called our climate. Um, you know, so you're never going to have the kind of accessibility that you have in a place like Washington, D.C. You know, our snow removal in Fairbanks and Anchorage is all, every year is an issue. You know, you finally get it so that uh, one of the cities takes care of it. Uh, and then they have a new person in charge and you have to start all over again. So there's a law called the Rehab Act and it if the city gets federal funds to build like a bus shelter, which they have, those bus shelters need to be uh, kept accessible to folks with disabilities. So they need to be, snow needs to be cleared from them. Um, do administrations tend to remember things like that on their own or, or do they usually need a reminder? No, they don't. They don't, they don't tend to remember that on their own. Um, so they need a reminder. And, and I, I'm on the Fairbanks diversity council and, I've worked with the university on issues um, on accessibility and, and um, when Brian Rogers was chancellor there three or four chancellors ago, his, his goal was to be the most accessible campus in the Arctic, but which adds a, a huge piece to it because it's hard to keep a campus that gets a foot of snow one night and then a rain the next day uh, accessible, right. you know? Yeah. Our weather now it's uh, you know, it's April, sixth um and right we've had two weeks almost daily of snow and and, and storms right and, yeah yeah and you asked how we compared with other states so the climate's an issue which but but other states deal with the climate issue um uh, one thing here is some some folks with disabilities need personal care attendance services or they need institutional level of care mm-hmm. and in federal law um the state's required to, required to provide at least institutional level, level of care for its citizens. So if I get in a car accident, if I have some disease, if I'm born with a disability, um, the state's required to provide me with institutional level of care. That means the Nolly Center or where, wherever. Um, and states can write waivers which say, okay, we don't, we're going to provide these services instead. So in Fairbanks, in Alaska, we have personal care attendance services um, and other home and community-based services because uh, we believe that it's better to have people in the community than in an institution. So in some ways, Alaska is way ahead of the rest of the country in that, in providing community-based care for people. But, you know, it's all state by state, so it's kind of a mismatch. And a lot of the work I've done has been um, nationally, national. I'm on a board 
uh, national board that where we work on a lot of federal issues. So you see some of the discrepancies between the states. Yeah. Um, Do you think questions of 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 access should be um, decided on on a state level or a federal level or or a little bit of both? Well, well, the ADA makes it a federal. It's a civil rights issue. You know, um, the ADA makes it a civil rights issue. So, which is, you know, we don't right now under the um, the CARES Act, the the current, you know, let's fix this economic disaster Senate bill mm-hmm. um, that came out. It it allows the Secretary of Education to um, waive certain parts of the idea, which is a uh, law that applies to school children, schoolized children. Uh, it's a civil rights law. And the Rehab Act, which applies to the federal government, it's the precursor to the Americans with Disabilities Act. And she is allowed to suggest waivers to those civil rights laws. Wow. Uh, I think if we had took the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and said, okay, let's, we're just going to waive this part about, uh, we could really have separate drinking fountains. Not a big deal. You know, that's how the disability community sees those threats. Wow. Uh, when you when you start allowing uh, the Secretary of Education <laughs> to start playing with this, with civil rights, it's it's a huge thing. And and now current with with the uh, COVID nineteen, you know, hospitals and communities and states are having to wrestle with triage. Um, who, who, you know, who gets the ventilator, who doesn't get the ventilator. And, um, so the disability rights community is, uh, it's technically illegal under the ADA to use age or, or disability as a criteria in those. And Washington state at one point, I think they've moved beyond this, had in there that if you had cognitive or developmental disabilities, you may, you were further down the line in, in getting that respirator. That, that's an enormous issue of, of equity. Um, yeah. So anyway, that, that was my last, you know, 10 years or so. Um, I've been going back to Washington, D.C., doing advocacy work for probably 15 years. And, um, and, yeah, and it's always, always changing. Yeah, of course. It does. Um, what does that look like on when you, when you go to Washington, D.C., um, and you speak with, I guess, political leaders? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they welcome you with open arms? Yeah, they do. And I, you know, I've been doing it for a while and it, at the beginning, it used to be disability issues were nonpartisan or bipartisan or whatever. Um, and that's, that has changed over the years. Everything's become pretty partisan, but you know, we, um, I, I, even, you know, we, uh, Senator Murkowski is, sometimes voted as one of few Republicans for issues that the disability community is um, supporting like healthcare. So it's you know, always good discussions. It's, it's always hard to tell if they're um, just listening or if they're actually hearing you, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's always, it's always a challenge. Yeah. And, and changing gears just a little bit, um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of, a lot of people from, your family are um, are pilots. <laughs> I know your son um, is a pilot for Raven, um, or was was a pilot for Raven with <laughs> with their yeah uh, recent um, Chapter Eleven uh, flying. Yeah. Um, is that something that ever 
I know, for example, my, my grandfather um, is he loves flying. He he loves planes. He's he's someone who knows um, who could recognize by sight every plane in the world, and and he'd love to be up in the air. And um, you know, if he was born here and grew up here in in Alaska rather than in Poland, I, I'm sure he'd have his own plane. He'd find a way to do it. Um, is that mm-hmm. something that ever ever called to you? Being a uh, no, no. no. Not when I, maybe when I first moved, I've been in Alaska 42 years now, and maybe when I first moved here, but when I first came here, I was a, as a teacher. My first job was as a teacher, and, and those kids could be your parent probably. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I had my summers, and I would do work for Fish and Wildlife Service, and so I would get, I'd do raptor surveys. I'd ban peregrine falcons, so I'd, I'd get vouchers for Safeway to buy food. I'd get plane vouchers. I didn't get paid, but I uh, was able to raft rivers and climb cliffs and ban peregrine falcons. And so somebody flew me, you know, I, I've always had, I've always been, um, let somebody else take on that responsibility. So my son, he would love to be up in the air all the time, but um, no, it was never a big interest of mine. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. It never, it's never been the same for me either. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I'm not uncomfortable on a small plane, but I'll let my son fly it. Right, and uh, yeah, Doug. I guess last question for today. Um, sort of looking forward into the future of Alaska, uh, both on the short and the long term. Are, are are you hopeful? Are you looking forward to that future? Are you a little bit pessimistic? That's a good question. I'm always pretty optimistic you know kind of part of it depends on how long we're in this kind of shutdown phase is it's kind of weird to go like i said from having a successful business to nothing overnight right. uh, and actually a negative business having to refund people that had prepaid for tours but you know we can always uh, take opportunities like this to um improve things you know we can always uh look at what we had and and what we have right now and see what we want to change and, and come out ahead in the end. You know, Alaska has been through a lot of ups and downs over the years and it's managed to keep going. So I'm, I'm generally optimistic. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, part of that's watching the community and, and seeing how they react to things and, you know, that people kick in for the bread line and people kick in for you know, doing what they can and with what they've got and the circumstances that are, they're, they're stuck with right now so yeah absolutely that's 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 important to highlight i think and you know outside of the few outliers who are hoarding who were hoarding toilet paper i, I think the majority <laughs> of of people uh both in fairbanks and all across alaska and really i think most places in the world have have banded together and are, are trying to get through this with a sense of community yeah you know i, I my wife and i travel quite a bit in Africa and South America and Central America quite a bit. And, um, you know, everybody's just trying to get by and do the best they can. And it's the same here. We're all just doing the best we can with the, what we've got. So, All right. Yeah. Doug Tolley, uh, he's the owner, a co-owner, and a uh, herdsman of <laughs> the Running Reindeer Ranch here in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, he's been a longtime disability access advocate. And, Doug, thank you very much for talking with us. Yeah, thanks, Coop. I appreciate it. The Alaska Cow.